This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Who are the other state partners that can work well hand in hand with state agencies to administer this program? So doing a, a wide assessment of the state and then also network and know who your partners are. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe. And this week, we are talking housing with Krista Lopez. So all disasters are local, and this is no difference in Texas. Krista Lopez is the director of Texas General Land Office. They took on the task of direct housing from FEMA after Hurricane Harvey. So Krista is an amazing person. I got to meet her and have a great conversation with her. She's done a lot of work throughout her life in emergency management and response. It was really awesome to get to meet her and, and to really hear the story uh, about what they did in Texas with the housing. Hey, have you, uh, have you got your reservation yet at the uh, Arizona Grand Hotel? Because I'm telling you that you're not going to want to miss the EMLC this year in Arizona, especially in May. It's beautiful over there. It's May 29th to the 30th in Phoenix, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So uh, I plan on being there. Uh, we're we're going to be doing some work over there with doing some live interviews and whatnot. So I'm excited to have uh, have you guys there come with me. I, I'm going to be there. And it's going to be the best weather, I'm telling you. You can check out the beautiful sunsets, check out the area, and also the world-class uh, presenters that are going to be at the EMLC this year at the Emergency Management Leaders Conference in Phoenix, Arizona, May 29th through the 30th. Well, we'll see you there. Let's get into the interview. Krista Lopez, welcome to EM Weekly. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate you having me on. So, Krista, just tell me a little bit about how you got involved in emergency management and kind of your journey to where you are today. Okay. So, the spark started for me early in my college years as friends of mine were volunteer firefighters and involved with search and rescue. And in 2002, when I moved to the city of Austin, I decided that I would make it my goal to become involved as a first responder. And from those days of being a first responder, um, I learned a lot of skills about the incident command system and how disasters were run. And in my daytime job at the University of Texas, I was actually asked to sit on committees to help develop emergency response policies for the university. That evolved into some unique job positioning for me at the university and then later evolved into me becoming an employee um, both at the Texas Division of Emergency Management and now with the Texas General Land Office. Um, so I've had a, a unique uh, background in emergency management, both from the first responder as well as into um, the administrative side. That's really cool. I, I like that that journey. Everybody has a unique journey, and that one was a really kind of a, a neat way to get there. So you and I met at, at IEM and uh, over in their Grand Rapids. It was a beautiful conference, and we got talking, and you were telling me about how you were running housing for FEMA through the state, which is like the first time they've ever done that. How did that come about? Well, it was a unique opportunity. Um, when Hurricane Harvey 
uh, affected the state of Texas and hit the state, we were asked as a state by FEMA to run the direct housing mission. This is a mission that FEMA typically runs uh, and facilitates for eligible disaster survivors. Uh, the state accepted that mission and the governor's office felt the best agency to fit that role was the Texas General Land Office. So under the leadership of Commissioner George P. Bush, um, we accepted the mission and we have been operating uh, jointly with FEMA uh, and operating a direct housing mission for the survivors of Hurricane Harvey. Um, we are providing temporary housing units as well as some uh, temporary and permanent construction programs. So it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to serve our citizens and the people of Texas. And also because we know our citizens so well um, and we know how the state is operated, we really are positioned well to best serve our citizens and uh, make this an impact and a great opportunity to help our uh, survivors move on and get into their permanent housing plans. Now, with the new strategies coming out of, out of FEMA under uh, Administrator Long, he really wants to have the local uh, government, state government, uh, really run their disasters. Is this part of that, part of those strategies, or is this something that's completely separate? It certainly um, is part of that strategy where I believe that Administrator Long recognizes that the best way to serve our citizens is to serve them with the folks that know them best and know the ordinances and laws the best and can really uh, position themselves well to be of greatest uh, service. And so with the size and magnitude of Harvey, um, that was an opportunity to use this as the example for the rest of the country of how a state could run a housing mission uh, funded by FEMA. And so it has been a great partnership um, and we appreciate um, working together and collaboratively with FEMA um, and our local partners because they've played a role in this. Um, and I do think it is better serving for our survivors. I have worked housing missions with FEMA in the past in state roles and have found that this program was able to get people into temporary housing units faster um, and really able to navigate some of the challenges I think FEMA faced on their own when they were operating it. But now as a partnership, we're able to make it more successful. That's actually a great segue because that was my next question. What were some of the challenges that you had implemented in this program? Anytime you implement a program for the first time, I think the challenges are always looking at how things have been operated in the past under one system and how do you make um, multiple systems come together to be successful and effective. So we had to look at making sure that our procurement was in line with federal procurement laws, which we always do anyway, but really looking at what things we had to take into consideration for this mission. Uh, because it hasn't been done before, we certainly had to create a lot of standard operating guidelines and policies and procedures um, the nice thing is now we have that, that information to share with other states and other jurisdictions being asked in the future to do these missions. So we're really trying to do it well and make it professional where we can share those resources out with our other partners across the country. So what kind of procedures did you have to create? Uh, we had to create procedures down to specific policies such as um, how high power poles have to be as we place temporary units. So you know, we have 
various energy providers throughout the state, and we had to bring them to the table to say, as we place these temporary housing units, can we come to an agreement on how high the power poles have to be? As specific as that to um, policies around uh, hauling and installing temporary housing units, construction of t- uh, permanent housing solutions. So we had a program that part of this program that was called, we called Dollar, Direct Assistance for Limited Home Repair. And Dollar is a way to provide households some permanent construction work in their home. And this program is unique because it had only been administered by FEMA in Guam and Alaska in very remote villages, Mm. had not been operated in the contiguous 48 states. So not only were we taking on the venture of this unique state-run housing mission, we were also taking on programs within a direct housing mission that had not been facilitated in the 48 states. So um, we had to create policies around that and procedures around how to facilitate that and really how to implement that program and, and develop those best practices. So what kind of partners did you bring in to the table, uh, or to the table, I should say, uh, when you were putting this together? We certainly engaged various state agency partners, um, some of our other federal partners, such as HUD. We also engaged our local partners, and they are key to all of this because we all know that disasters begin and end at the local level. Mm -hmm. So you want that local jurisdiction involvement and engagement. So we asked our councils of government to... Um, be a part of this and, and build a partnership with us and help us to facilitate the nuances of the program. So, for example, once a household receives a temporary housing unit, they each month meet with a team of folks we call recertification teams. And those recertification teams are making sure they're making progress on the permanent housing solution, rebuilding their damage tone, that they're also um, abiding by the tenets of their agreement. And with that, um, we certainly do not have the staffing to, you know, send people out to the regions. Plus, we want to make sure that households are meeting with people they're familiar with. So we engaged our local jurisdictions to partner with us to uh, apply to this recertification process some staffing. And this really um, having helpers in the field um, having local individuals working with our local disaster survivors was a great partnership. So those are some of the partnerships we built. But other unique partnerships, such as working with FEMA, they have a core group of individuals focused on uh, long-term recovery and building partnerships with um, private sector partners. They have partnerships with voluntary agencies. We've had great success with our voluntary agencies um, working with them within the tenets of, you know, FEMA privacy laws, but sharing information that the voluntary agencies can help households, you know, sometimes muck and gut, remove debris from their homes, and then we can come in and complement that with our construction programs. Or a household might be in a temporary housing unit, and the only thing holding them back from moving back into their damaged dwelling might be a door or having... Um, some fixtures installed in their home. So we might be able to partner with a voluntary agent and liaisons to have voluntary groups come in and help those survivors um, finish up their home so that they can get back into their home and on their way to recovery. So it is certainly a unique set of partnerships. 
Um, and we appreciate our leadership and Commissioner Bush in saying that, you know, we really need to engage all of our partners and we need to make this a joint effort. Now, is this something that a state can do prior to having a disaster? Is this a program that they can pick up and start running with? Or is this something that just came about because of the how massive Harvey was uh, with the impact? So I do believe states can begin now preparing for such a mission. Certainly the mission comes and the funding for the mission comes once a disaster strikes. But I would encourage all local agencies and state partners and individuals across the United States to really look at how can you plan for this now? Because we have seen following Hurricane Harvey, several other states experience disasters. And we are aware that FEMA has approached other agencies and other states to say, would you like to take on this housing mission like Texas did? And we've offered up our, our SOGs, our learning lessons, and our guidance um, to support those other states as they um, investigate whether or not this is something they would like to take on. So certainly there is preparation that can be done now. And I think that we're positioned well to help those other states that are interested in doing so. If there was like one or two things that you would do differently now that you've gone through the process that you wish you knew before, what, were, what are they and what can other states do to avoid that pitfall? So one is preparing ahead of time. We didn't know we were going to get this mission. So I think that's the big takeaway is um, we were not aware that this was coming our way. And the Texas General Land Office signed an agreement with FEMA to enter into this contract to run this program on September 14th of 2017. If you recall, Hurricane Harvey um, hit Texas on August 25th. So almost a month later is when we found out we were running this mission. It would have been helpful to exercise and train and plan for it. So that's what we're doing now. In addition to running the program, we're working on ways to conduct exercises and trainings um, and bring awareness to our state of how a housing mission might be run in the future. So we're already planning for the next disaster. That's a good question here. What's the exercise look like for a housing <laughs> mission? Hey, let's just take about uh, 60 seconds here and listen to our sponsors. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Hey, welcome back from listening to the sponsors really quick. Without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here. So please reach out to them. Tell them that Ian Weekly sent you. Now back to the interview. That's a good question here. What's the exercise look like for a housing <laughs> mission? <laughs> You know, that's a great question. I think an exercise looks like a tabletop exercise, most definitely. So bringing partners to the table from voluntary agencies, private sector, uh, other state agencies. Uh, for us, it would be Department of Insurance and, you know, Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs and Texas Division of Emergency Management and so many more state agencies. I don't want to leave anyone out. But then also our voluntary agency partners and, of course, our local jurisdictions bringing them to the table to say, you know, here's a scenario that might pose where we in the state are needing additional housing and temporary housing or some construction for uh, our survivors after a disaster. What policies and jurisdictions at the local level exist 
now that we might need to put a temporary stay on or make a modification in times of disaster. So in blue skies, let's look at what our policies and regulations are so that we can, in disaster time, be better prepared to respond to those. For example, permitting. We can't just provide a household a temporary housing unit such as a travel trailer or a manufactured home, we need to obtain even temporary permits for those. Can jurisdictions make decisions now that they would allow those or not allow those? So we would be aware once a disaster strikes if we can place units within those areas. So those are the type of things that tabletop exercise would bring to light um, and we could put some structure into place ahead of time. Yeah, that's a really good point as far as permitting goes. When I teach, I teach disaster recovery. And when I teach classes, I tell my students that we should take a look at those processes to see how we can cut the time on the red tape coming from the local jurisdiction. And working with the local jurisdictions to understand the time crunch and being able to get people up and running again is really important. So I think on the recovery mission, a program like this is is really, really, really important. So I'm glad to see that you guys are are doing this and leaning forward uh, on a process like this. What tips would you give? I mean, outside of the those the ones that you're talking about regarding the challenges, but what tips would you give to a state or a, or, or a county government that's looking to do something like that, like this? What what do you think they can would would take away from from your experience? So first, I would say if a state is considering doing this, I think they need to take a hard look at what state agency is best positioned to handle this mission. Um, the Texas General Land Office, I do believe, was the best state agency to handle this mission because we also administer the Community Development Block Grant, Disaster Recovery Grant. And that program has a lot of similarities and also some overlap with disaster survivors and who we're serving. So it positions us very well to basically see our disaster survivors from the beginning of the disaster all the way through their um, long-term recovery options through the Community Development Block Grant. So those are the type of things I would suggest that states look at is not just default to the state emergency management agency, but who are the other state partners that can work well hand-in-hand with state agencies to administer this program. So doing a, a wide assessment of the state and then also network and know who your partners are and understand the tenants of the disaster direct housing mission from FEMA and what federal laws, what staff, what the Stafford Act says uh, is permissible. So we know that there was a recent Disaster Recovery Reform Act passed in September here by, and what are the impacts of that new legislation on our decision-making as we move forward as well? Also, just what's the difference between emergency uh, response and long-term recovery and really exploring, you know, who's best positioned to work in those uh, spheres. That's a really good point right there as far as transferring the responsibilities, I would say, for lack of a better term, from say your first responders, fire, police, EMS, back over to say public works or something along those lines for the long-term recovery. I think that transfer of, of uh, positioning is really important as far as the local level goes. How, how did you choose what nonprofit organizations that you're going to, like you said before, you had some of those at the table. How did you choose what NGOs that you invited to come uh, participate in this, in this process? 
So we like to, you know, make it fair and equitable and we want to be able to use a, uh, and engage a variety of partners. And so we use the state voluntary agency liaison as our partner. She works for the Texas Division of Emergency Management. Um, and then FEMA also has voluntary agency liaisons and they know our NGO partners, our non-governmental organization partners so well that we can say, here's a specific task that we're looking at. Who's the best partner for this project? So that we have um, the best resources at hand and we're getting some expert opinion on who to engage for various tasks. Because some NGOs or volunteer agencies are really good at the beginning phases of disaster response and, and what we call mucking and gutting or removing debris from homes. And some are really good at chainsaw work. Some have heavy equipment opportunities. And then some are fantastic when it comes to rebuilding homes and building and permanent structures. And we even have some now that have the financial resources to purchase manufactured homes that they're donating, giving to um, applicable households. So Knowing who all the partners are, what their skills and traits are, and what they specialize in is so important. And that's where, again, building those relationships with voluntary agency liaisons so that we know who the best partners are. We have a great Texas Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, or Texas VOAD. They're a very strong uh, partner here in the state. And they vet organizations as well. So their membership are validated through them to know that these are organizations that are going to stay around. You know, we often hear in disasters about fraudulent activity and we want to avoid exposing disaster survivors to any fraudulent activity. And by having partners such as Texas VOAB, we know that they're trusted, respected, and they um, can be relied upon and we know that they're going to do right by our citizens. I, uh, I had the opportunity to interview um, a friend of mine who was here in California for the longest time, and then she retired and moved to, to Houston about, I don't know, maybe a year before the storms came in. And uh, mm-hmm. she started working with her church group and really managing some of the donations that came in. And she's talking about the, some of the challenges that occurred with those, let alone the processing and then shipping and then moving things around. So I understand like the, those volunteer organizations are really important because that was a church. I forget which group she was with. I'm sorry, Anna. Um, but the, um, they, they were able to, and it would take over that, that role for, uh, for the city of Houston as far as moving uh, donations around. So it is really important to have those conversations uh, prior to uh, any disaster. Like we all know, it's blue sky days are the best days to, to meet people. It's nice to have a coffee with somebody in the air-conditioned room than it is to sit there and drink water in the back of a, uh, on a hot day uh, outside by your car. So making those relationships are really important. Um, one last question before we kind of get into a couple of other little things here. So in this process of you getting the job, right, then all of a sudden the task comes to you. You guys kind of on the flight make policies and procedures to start working with your partners. And then where are you now from, from that time starting to where you are today? So today um, we are managing – the recertification process and the move out inspections and deactivations of our temporary housing units. Um, the program is set to end February 25th of 2019. So part of FEMA's policy related to direct housing missions is that they exist out to 18 months 
from date of disaster declaration. So Hurricane Harvey was August 25th of 2017. So 18 months out would be February 25th of 2019. We have, um, Commissioner Bush has sent forward a request to FEMA to ask for an extension because we do know that recovery takes a long time. We want to make sure that our citizens are served well uh, and taken care of as they transition into their um, repairs of their damaged dwelling. We know that it takes a lot longer sometimes, especially a storm and the magnitude of Harvey. Resources are limited. It's sometimes hard to find a contractor. It might be difficult to obtain materials. And then unfortunately, we do know that sometimes folks experience some fraud and they may need to save up some additional funds to make those repairs. So we want to give our citizens ample time and opportunity to rebuild their homes. And in doing so, we've asked for an extension from FEMA and we're waiting their response. So that's where we stand right now. One last question. How many individual households have you guys uh, helped out with this process? So throughout the course of the program, through various um, opportunities that we've had uh, through direct direct lease, manufactured homes, travel trailers, the dollar program, which is the direct assistance for limited home repair. Um, And then we did a, what we call um, step or preps. Most people are familiar with it being called step, but this is a temporary repair program to get people sheltered back into their homes. That program alone, we served over 15,666 houses uh, in preps. And then adding in the rest of the direct housing programs, another over 3,000 programs. So we've served over 18,000 households. And when you average 2.2 people per household, we've served a lot of Texas citizens through our programs. And we continue to serve them because we're now administering the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program, and we'll continue to serve them over the next several years in their recovery process. Oh, that's amazing. That's great work there. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Okay, here comes some of the hard questions. Well, this one's not so hard. If somebody wanted to get more information (laughs) from you, learn more about what you're doing, or maybe even if you could share this information with them, how could they find you? recovery.texas.gov, G-O-V, and Texas is spelled out, T-E-X-A-S. That website is your one-stop shop. It talks about our sh- what we call short-term, which is the program that I'm running, short-term housing programs, as well as our long-term, our community development block grant, disaster recovery programs. Under our short-term housing programs, we have information about our IGSA or our intergovernmental uh, service agreement with FEMA, which is a contract we signed. Um, we also have information on social media. You can find us on Twitter at TXGLO. You can find our LinkedIn page, our uh, Facebook page, but just we are available to folks. Our information, like I said, on recovery.texas.gov also has um, the opportunity where state agencies wanted to gather more information. We can be able to share some of our standard operating guidelines with them. We can share our lessons learned. We're also presenting at some conferences. Um, we've put in some program proposals for the Texas uh, Emergency Management Conference coming up this spring. We'll be submitting proposals for next year's IAEM conference to present there. And uh, we've also provided FEMA uh, significant amount of feedback and have gone to even Washington, D.C. to discuss lessons learned. So we're available, and they have the opportunities to find us online. Um, and certainly, folks can contact me individually if they have any questions as well. 
That's great. And if you guys are driving down the road or your, sharp, your pencil's not sharp, don't worry. We're going to have this information in our show notes. Um, and you can also find it on the emweekly.com website. Okay, here comes the last question. Well, not the quite last question, but the last hard question. <laughs> what book, books, or publications do you recommend to somebody who's getting involved or is involved in emergency management? So I have three for you. Okay. Um, Disasters by Design by Dr. Dennis Maletti. I used that text several times and still continue to refer to it. Um, and Dr. Maletti has certainly has had an impact on emergency management and education and emergency management, disaster recovery and resilience. Um, Amanda Ripley wrote a book called Unthinkable, Who Sur- Survives When a Disaster Strikes and Why. This was a really important lesson learned to understand the survivor impact and how individuals survive disasters. And I think it's a good perspective as professionals that we understand the people we're serving. And then finally, a personal book um, that I think is a great book about looking at any situation from a variety of perspectives and not just specific to disasters is The Sunflower by Simon Weissenthal. The Sunflower, that's a, that's a unique one right there. Tell me a little bit about The Sunflower. So The Sunflower, um, Simon Weissenthal shares a story of interviewing a soldier from the Nazi war camps. And this soldier is infirmed and asks for an individual serving them who's imprisoned at the camp for forgiveness. And so Simon goes out to interview public figures to ask what would they do if they were faced with the situation. And it's really interesting to hear a variety of perspectives as to how individuals would respond on the topic of forgiveness and understanding. And I think that that's an important message we all need to understand. That's true. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Talking directly to the emergency manager right now, what would you want to say to them? I'd want to say, remember that recovery takes a long time. Identify who your partners are in disaster recovery um, because it's easy to get caught up um, and it's, it's exciting sometimes for the emergency managers to get caught up in the response phase. And it is important because we're saving lives. But when we think about the principles of emergency management, some people refer to it as the, the LIPS principle, life, safety, incident, incident stabilization, and property conservation. Those are the immediate needs, but then they have a long-term need. And so I think understanding recovery, the importance of recovery, training for recovery will make a disaster run more smoothly mm-hmm. um, and think about who you're transitioning to and how you're going to transition. So for example, here in Texas now in the state operations center, not only are partners in the room discussing response, but recovery is being discussed as a disaster is unfolding because we know that as soon as the disaster strikes, the recovery process begins. So I would say continue to think about recovery and start having that dialogue. Well, Chris, it's a pleasure meeting you at IEM. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Todd, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone listening in. Um, as Todd mentioned, there's going to be lots of information after this. So if you need to reach out to us and contact us, we're happy to um, be a partner in all of this across the country and across the globe. And Ty, I look forward to seeing you at the next conference. All right, bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye.